Hi, welcome to One Degree Shifts. I'm your host, Pascal Tremblay. I'm the co-founder of Nectar. We're a psychedelic support ecosystem. And today I'm super honored and, and thrilled to have Gibran Rivera, uh, who I first met briefly at, in 2016 at Hollyhock. And my experience of Gibran at the time was as a facilitator uh, for group experience uh, throughout a, a week-long uh, event uh, called the Social Change Institute. Um, and he left an impression on me in the way that he held the space, in the way that he facilitated, um, and also the ideas that he was bringing forward in the space and uh, really creating a very <clears throat> engaged and very uh, heartfelt conversation between people. And uh, it left an impression on me. And, and years later, five or six years later, I I reached out to him again and I was uh, pleasantly surprised and, and very excited that he started working with plant medicines during that time. Uh, and uh, we aligned on a lot of the, the things that he's up to in the world. So here he is today on the podcast. Hi, Jaron. Hello, Pascal. So good to be connecting with you again. I always enjoy our conversations and I'm thrilled to be connecting with you and your audience. I got to tell you, one degree shifts. What a, what wisdom is already embedded in the in the title of the podcast. I love it. Thank you. And I feel like the conversation today is quite linked to that concept as well. And uh, for people who don't know you, can you give us a kind of a brief story of, of Gibran uh, for um, what yeah. you're in the world and what, what interests you? Absolutely. You might, you might have to stop me, you know, and I'll, you have full, full consent to do I'll that. Uh, but I, how to introduce myself? I, I am the son of Pedro Anaixa. I am the father to Darshan. I am the lover and the partner of Tuesday. I'm a co-parent with Darshan's mother, Samantha. I mm -hmm. am devoted to the goddess. Um, I was born in Puerto Rico. And at the age of 12, we moved to Western Massachusetts. And I often start my story there because I thought my life in Puerto Rico was perfect. And I didn't want to move. And it was like something was being done to me. And at that age, I became a minority. I became a person of color. And that was not a pleasant experience, not in the United States. And uh, that kind of moved me, gave me like a thirst for justice that took some time to make sense of. Um, but interestingly enough, Pascal, we also moved for very unique reasons. We moved to be part of a religious community. And people often think that means like a commune. It wasn't. It was more of an, a, an idea, a group of families spread over three th cities that shared a kind of religious covenant. So in a weird way, we came for, for, for religious reasons. And the particular practice was something called the charismatic renewal. And I bring this up because even though it's not what I follow, is uh, it involved um, a Pentecostalist expression, and people might not know what that means either. It's like um, when you see in movies, or maybe people are actually participants, like those, those kind of Christian religious expressions that include praying in tongues and people are jumping up and down and raising their hands in the air and everybody's praying at the same time but with different words and people get slain in the spirit and i bring that up because uh, as problematic as like the dogma was it was a very um somatic right and and fiery 
experience of the divine, I think that has been formative. That has really defined me. I, mm. I became an, an organizer. I became an activist. I became involved in politics as somebody very concerned with justice. Um, and then I had one of those experiences in which your life falls completely apart. Uh, my life broke down and it was through my own doing. And in that breakdown, there was a, a very potent spiritual awakening. And through that spiritual awakening, I got into the work of facilitation. And I knew that this was my vocation. And you meet me a couple of like cycles into that specific growth. I am still a, a facilitator. I do, I, I support group process. I'm also mm -hmm. a coach. I'm a guide. And uh, I'm often find myself in the role of teacher. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. And what is your relationship to justice when it comes to medicine work in general or your own path? Like what, what is the role of justice in that? That is a very layered question. Um, because there's some fun, uh, a fundamental way, like, uh, like let's start at the surface level, which is uh, the way the medicine ways are coming into the West, um, they're not very accessible, you know? They're expensive pathways. Um, and, and, and that's true even if pe for people that work to want to work with me, you know, so oftentimes I'll try to, to, um, to kind of charge a premium of those who can and then make sure, make it more accessible to, to those that, that lack. But at the very basic level, that's not just. Um, at another level, the, sometimes the communities that have held these ways for the longest um, are, are excluded, right, from the material uh, from what is happening materially in the field among some, or like, or, or like, let's not even get into what, like what pharmaceuticals are doing with what mother nature has given us. And then, I don't, so there's, those are like ways to easily point towards injustice in this path. But I want to, I want to just say something more positive or affirmative, which is, in that transition for me from facility, from, from, from act, more activist organizer to facilitator, I was making a conscious move away from the purely adversarial, right? There is something that the medicine path makes available to us, not by magic, you know, it demands our engagement, where we can begin to heal in such a way that our resentments can start to drop away. Mm -hmm. And healing is almost synonymous with letting go of resentment, you know, and with, with grieving for the harm that has been caused and then let the resentment go. And I feel like too much of the discourse of justice is still yeah. embedded in a language of justified resentment. And it only feeds into a politics of resentment that are also held by the reactionary right. So it, it ends up like both poles are like, are, are swimming in the poisonous waters of resentment. And, and uh, the medicine paths 
connected to something broader, to broader spiritual practice and broader spiritual community, allow us to begin to unlock the grip of resentment in our psyche and our consciousness. Mm-hmm. And in our ideologies, our ideologies seem to support resentment. They seem to encourage it and kindle it, which is right. counter to the kind of reclaiming of our humanity that the medicine right. is possible. And it's sort of a paradox, like you're, you're fighting for justice and yet you have to let go of resentment. You have to shed the layers of the fight almost, like fighting in a different way almost, which I think to me personally speaks to um, the paradox of psychedelics as well, which is we want to heal, we want to transform, we want to um, cure ourselves, we want to let go of the layers and the, the resentment and the anger and the fear and so for a lot of people, that means doing psychedelics in the way where they're seeking something. Mm-hmm. And we've talked about this before, uh, Gibran, is the idea of giving up seeking. And you've had a personal journey around that. Uh, would you like to share uh, what your journey has been? I am so happy that you took note of that in our earlier conversation. Because it is um, it has literally changed my relationship to to psychedelics and uh, it connects in a way to what I was talking about earlier with that kind of charismatic Pentecostalist experience of the divine, always kind of a fiery exuberance to it. I was very vivid and um, that's a beautiful thing. I wish it upon more people. I then um, engaged a a yogic path, uh, a path that followed a, a tantric tradition that was kind of very ecstatic and uh, beautiful, still central to my understanding of the world. Uh, um, and then I came up on, up on the medicine path, which you know can be really sternious, arduous, and hard, but it can also really bring you face to face with the divine and the ecstasy of that and, uh, and the ecstasy of being together and recognizing yourself, all of those things. But recently, through a, it was a process. It wasn't all at once. But it, but it can narrow down to this moment in which I was experiencing that euphoric sensation of union with the big T-H-A-T, whatever you want to call it, God or the universe or that which is singular, you know? And... Uh, and I was just like, wow, right? And, and thankfully, through grace, and I have been working on this for a while, that moment, it was like, you, Gibran, think that this is God, you know? Uh, and that's when you mistake it. It's like, you think that this explosive experience is the thing. And so you keep chasing after it. And I think that is one of the traps of psychedelics, right? Like, you keep chasing after the explosive experience and and so then you failing to integrate into the mundanity of everyday life which is which is why we journey like we journey right so that we can experience truth here and understand that if it's not here if it is not here in this conversation between you and I Pascal there is nowhere to be found. And any search outside of here, it's a waste of time, you know? Um, which is not to say that 
taking medicine is a waste of time, but to take it with the thought that is going to somehow perfect what is already perfect. Um, that is a mistake that is being misguided. And I have been, and I have been so misguided myself. Mm -hmm. And you, you mentioned before that at some point you overcorrected uh -huh. around this. I'd love to hear more about that too. Oof, my God. Uh, well, I just want to commend you again. I feel really heard. Uh, we had a previous conversation, Pascal and I, and I just really appreciate the care. Yeah. So then, as, as I don't know if everybody else is like me, but you know, you hear a message. I want to keep using the word God, but that's just what I'm comfortable with. People can substitute however they are. I'm not dogmatic about it. I, but I don't like to shy away from it either. Let me go on a quick tangent here, which is part of what gets lost in this kind of spiritual but not religious vibe is the idea of God as thou, you know? Look, I come from a non-dualist tradition. I don't, I, I don't imagine that there's another entity that is alien to me that is God. But I do think that we benefit from, as humans, and this is ancestral, from understanding the divine inside of ourselves, so God as I, understanding the divine as like, the wonders of the universe, right? From like what we see in nature and the high peaks or the waters or the universe, God as that. And that we benefit from the idea of God as thou, uh, 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 an anthropomorphized idea before which you can bow your head, right? Against which your ego can clash, right? Somewhere to surrender, something to pray to. So it, it's that's that's a tangent. That's not what you asked, but um, I, I... Well, I love that tangent because I'll go my own tangent off your tangent. Yes. Um, I have a really good friend, David uh, Gomes, who's one of my best friends. And in his practice, he's made a stand of just bringing the word God back more into his practice because what he shares that ultimately all we want to do as humans is connect back to the divine or the God consciousness. And without us actually knowing it, for a lot of us, it's actually our, our primary goal is to reconnect with the divine. And so I thank you for bringing that up. Yeah. Yeah. I'll say one last thing about it for now, which is Thomas the train. Thomas the train is not God, just to be clear, but you put eyes and a mouth on a train, right? And children can feel a relationship to that train. They can treat it like a living entity, you know? We anthropomorphize. We are, it is easier for us to commune with something that we can imagine as a, as, as a being with eyes and a face, you know? And I feel like that's what, that's all we're doing when we're calling God, God. It's like, no, like I don't believe there's an alien somewhere. Right. But it's like this, 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 this force that permeates the universe. If I can, if I can give it a name, you know? And give it a face, then it is easier for me to make prostrations. And I am a, always a better man when I make prostrations regularly. Um, to get back, so so then so then God, so if God, I'm like, okay, if God says to me, like, get off this stuff, you know, like, not get off it, but like the medicine is, uh, the medicine is, you know, you are looking in the wrong direction, like you are, you're coming back to this well. Uh, to satisfy your seeking self and to not 
come to terms with life and its terms and the fact of what is here and now. Um, the medicine itself in recent ceremonies was like, hey, you, you, you're taking that idea too far, Gibran. You know, you are, I, you are not being asked to stop journeying altogether. That's not, that's not for you right now. That's not it. Um, so then the question becomes, oh, so, okay, so what is my posture when I journey, you know? And I journey less, for sure. But when I do, I am doing a number of things. Mainly, I am visiting with a teacher. The same way, Pascal, that I would visit with you and rejoice in your company, or if you and I had an elder that held more wisdom than us and that lived somewhere in the forest, you and I would go out and seek that person and be with them and learn from them. Not because we thought anything was missing, but because we grow from entities, beings, humans that know more than us. So that's one. So it's a different posture. It's not, this is going to fix me, but it's a visit with a master. Another one, another way in which I journey is um, I have a teacher that, uh, that helps me learn more about how to guide because he's got 35 years more experience than me. And so um, the one of the key ways in which he teaches me is by guiding me, right? And, uh, and it's amazing because I can take the same compound um, that I would take without him and the experience is explosively different, right? Because of, of what he holds and the trust that I can have. Um, and then finally, I might journey uh, to be in communion and community with friends and, or a very, very specially. And again, all of this is it's less times than it sounds. Um, might be with, with my beloved, you know, for the sake of deepening our relationship, um, both spiritually and sometimes, oftentimes, for pleasure itself. Like, you know, it, 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 a journey with, with her can take the shape of, can, take, can have so many phases over a day where, like, there's deep, intense work happening, there's playfulness happening, and there's, there's just, like, explosive worlds of sexual bliss unfolding for us, you know? And I think that's sacred, too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think a lot of what you're sharing beautifully is um, that the medicine is an optional sacrament um, and that like you said so well before as well, there's communion in the process itself. Um, how does that show up for you in the everyday life? How do you bring these states or these connections or these um, openings with, with God and and divine consciousness into your everyday mundane life? That's a, it's a good question. Uh, and a beautiful one. I can tell you that uh, this is something I've learned through therapy and uh, it's important to mention this because, uh, psychedelics are not a substitute for therapy, right? Psychedelics are best taken in the con in, in not, 
I want to be clear here. I don't think we should take the the only way to take psychedelics in a, is in a therapeutic framework, as is being pushed in the West right now. But you should have a therapist when you when you use psychedelics, and you should have a spiritual community, and you should have a somatic practice. I'm riffing here on the importance of therapy because I had an uncle, uh, my father's eldest brother, died in a motorcycle accident. I must have been five. And I knew that that had happened, but I didn't have a full understanding of that, that it had an impact on me psychologically, right? Of course, it's weird, it would, but I, it wasn't in my awareness. I was a kid. My uncle died, I, you know? But uh, as I was digging out stuff through therapy, I saw that uh, I learned that at that age, you know, I saw my grandmother writhing, right? As basically a human being experienced the worst anguish that I believe a human being can experience, which is, you know, we can almost take anything happening to our bodies, but something happening to our child is just, it's it's this thing that can't, you know, that can't be... And somewhere in me, I understood the tragedy of human existence and some decision got made in which I had to be fully alive, you know, because this couldn't at any time. And, and, and I, that's, that's, a, that's a great choice. But as a young person and later on as an adult, that has tended to mean lit on fire, right? Like, and so I can facilitate these experiences and like just do all these things. But it's actually that I've discovered is also the shadow side. It's like a rebellion against the mundane, right? Mm. It's almost like some small young part of me feels like getting too mundane is getting close to death, right? It's not being alive, right? And so it's been, it's, it's, so the question that you ask is very prescient and very important to where I am on my journey. Um, and so, I often say to Tuesday, Tuesday to a woman I love, uh, I say to her, how is it possible that I have seen the face of God a thousand times and I can still forget, you know? And she says to me something, and I'm, I don't say it to flatter myself, but it's an important reminder, and it's good to have people in your life that remind you. She says, Gibran, what you seem to forget is that you are walking in the world like somebody that has seen the face of God a thousand times. Like It is possible that every single day my subjective experience is one of me throwing at least one mini fit about something completely insignificant, you know? Um, you know, like the days that you don't want to get out of bed and you don't want to work out. Like all of those things are still part of my day-to-day -day life, you know? The days when you snap at the wrong person. Certainly the days when I'm not the father I want to be. Um, so I'm far from calling myself some kind of liberated being that walks around without foibles, without having to contend with the flesh, right? And 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 the kind of our humanity. But I can also tell you with confidence that I just I just had a birthday less than a month ago, and uh, that it was my my best birthday yet, and that it wasn't because I had the best party. Um, we didn't even have a party this year, which I usually have to throw a big party for my birthday. And it's quite private. I was offline, you know. I was with my beloved. But it's to get to your question. I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get to it. Um, I like the distinction between states and stages. So 
So a, so a state is like when we go into medicine space, we enter the state and then that state goes away, right? And when you dance, you can get into a state or, you know, like there's just, okay, there's flow states that last for like a long time. A flow states that just last for a bit or, or like just, we come in and out of states. Stages are different in that they're developmental. They have a sequence. So sort of, you know, they have an order and they can't be undone. So like speaking, like got no words, ga ga ga, some words, putting sentences together. If you're anybody anywhere like me, like you never stop talking, right? And like that's 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 a, that's a sequence and that can't be undone. And so what what I'm trying to say, Pascal, is that if we engage the spiritual path, which for many of us, includes medicine with seriousness, joy, but seriousness, some rigor in the context of community, understanding that integration in between the peak experiences is as important as the experiences themselves. We actually grow at the level of stages of development. Like we, we, we get. To a pl we get to places where it can, some of what you see and have come to know can no longer be taken away. And I feel like there is something to what has been given to me by grace, not, not exclusively in medicine, but through like the spiritual paths in general that can no longer be undone, right? There is a, there is an irrefutable faith. There is uh a no, a, a lack of belief in death, which is not to say I be fine, fine if a dear one dies, or or that I'm gonna like happily jump into into my end. But like, there's something fundamental in me that knows it doesn't exist, right? And those things give us a kind of freedom, um, and it also helps us. Those those people who are, who are listening, who are guides, you know. Or aspiring to be guides. When you're holding somebody in their healing. When you have that kind of unshakable understanding of the inherent goodness in, 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 in a life and a world that can be so tragic. That's the medicine, you know, that you bring to the ceremony. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. I love the an analogy between states and stages and yeah. what came up to you while you were sharing um was that you know as we go through the different stages there's a certain i think perspective of the medicine space where it's sort of like an end point at some point and so my question to you is like what stage are you in now and 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 what's next for you do you think about that sometimes mm -hmm. Well, I think, I definitely think there's no end, um, which is different from the med whether the medicine space has an end or not. I can't tell you. I, I am open to one day medicine saying enough or saying um, even less. You know what I mean? Like, do like, visit me on this one a year or whatever it might be. I don't know what medicine will say. I can tell you that we should all be thinking of it as maybe that's not true. I think it should taper. I think I like, I, I, 
I don't know that the math is perfect, but I do like Jamie Wheel's contention that there is a para, that, uh, I like the, the Pareto principle applies where like you get so much in like 20% of your early engagement, right? And then you kind of get lost in the idea that like you can, you're going to linearly keep growing at that same pace. And no, like there's a, it subsides, right? Like it's, it's, and so it's, it's so like relate to it that way. Like don't, yeah, so that's one thing I would say. And I would say that path-wise, do hold the faith and believe that, you know, there's this remembering and forgetting, remembering and forgetting, remembering and forgetting. And like, like the like the forgetting can get lesser and lesser and lesser and lesser and lesser. And so if I dare to imagine what is next for me in my own spiritual development is like less and less and less forgetting, right? Uh, less and less and less forgetting. Is there a point where there's no forgetting? Some t-shirts seem to claim there is, you know? <laughs> um, uh, sometimes I feel like I have held that belief at times and I felt like I have not held it at other times. And I feel like lately... I want to believe it again, but not get lost in the possibility. Um, you know, I, I, I'm keen on the teachings of this beautiful British guy called Rupert Spira, who is a, a great non-dualist. And I recommend his yoga meditations on YouTube to be listened to, like sitting down and his meditation. The is powerful. But he speaks of this other sage that many people might know in the psychedelic world, called Gadata Maharaj, who was another guy that was kind of this kind of non-dual, full identification with the divine. And and he, what I heard from Rupert was that they asked Sargadatta, like, what happens like in your life? He just goes, well, I just I just keep getting happier and happier. So so I do think even if you're like at this state of like no longer forgetting, the kind of unfolding of joy, I think is it, it can be limitless and. That's my faith, and it's part of my experience, I would say. I, I can tell you mm -hmm. my heart only seems to have gotten bigger over time. Beautiful. And it, like you spoke earlier about the journey, too, is the finding the beauty and the richness and the connection in the journey of exploring these things. And um, somewhere along my path, I, I, I sort of fell in love with the process. I've, I Instead of trying to fight my demons uh i started dancing with them a little bit more and appreciating mm. that they exist and um and i'm kind of looking at the painting behind you as well as maybe a potential metaphor here for the path mm. which is this a beautiful crane kind of flowing his beautiful wings and this other person is kind of dancing but also facing it and kind of expressing itself with it and against it in some way there's a beautiful balance there mm. um appreciating the journey um and you've mentioned this a couple of times now in, in the call, and um, I've heard you say it so beautifully before and in two different ways. It's the idea of community. Um, and the way you call it sometimes is the we space. <laughs> and in a newsletter that you shared uh, just recently, you said community is an act of resistance. <laughs> um, can you share more about community as an act of resistance? I really love that. That's absolutely. I will do that. Um, so interestingly, I mentioned 
we moved to the to the mainland to the, from Puerto Rico because Puerto Rico is a colony. So we moved from to the mainland United States and to living community and intentional community and and I experienced the best and the worst of that, you know. And so, for example, today there are like social justice communities that kind of remind me more of that fundamentalist community, meaning a kind of fundamentalism and rigidity where like these are these communities are a structure of belonging, but it's very brittle because they're held together by the threat of exile. Right? And when something's held together by the threat of exile, that, that gives you all kinds of belonging, but it also, it's like, it's, there's this, this, this fear that is constantly in the background. Um, and so that's not what I mean. <laughs> but I also, but I also always have wanted to rescue what is the best of that. And I can tell you that, you know, you, you're a parent. The way we bring it up kids as nuclear families is, it's impossible. Like it is, it is, it, it drives the parents crazy, particularly, especially today, the, the, the mother, right? Like it, it's never meant to be that way. Um, Francis Weller, who wrote a beautiful book called the, the Wild Edge of Sorrow, a great book on grief. He says that our first grief is that we're supposed to be born to a hundred pairs of eyes, you know, and we're born to like something like six, our parents and grandparents. And, and so, so, there is some so that that's all done so that every household can have a car and a refrigerator and a wash. You know, it's all like for capitalism's sake, the atomization, the nuclear, and then and then and then we're busy all the time. So we can't have we can't we don't have time for our friends, right? And so when those are the socioeconomic conditions that we're literally bred into, right? When the society doesn't even spend time helping you nurture wisdom, which is what makes you human, but instead helping you identify yourself as a consumer, right? And as this identity that you perform on, on, on social media for your brand, like all of those things are the emptiness of that um, is the opposite of community. And so to build community in light of that, in fact, in, or given the fact that we are in a tidal wave that is against it, um, it's an act of resistance, and 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 it's quite honestly like the pathway to survival. So I want to say one more thing, if you don't mind, just to make a, a, a distinction, and it might be too nuanced. Uh, people, forgive me if I'm getting nerding out too much here, but I want to make a sort of distinction between the we space and community. They're they're interconnected. They're woven together. Not always the same. I see community as a structure of belonging. is um, It's highly interpersonal. You will like people. We don't like some people, but we're in community with them. We tolerate them to stay in community. We bend in order to like do things that 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 are not always the preference that we would have if we were only a household and. And, and so there's a lot of interpersonal dynamics in friendship and community. 
that are essential for us to like learn to navigate, to be with, to stay in boundaries, whatever, all of that. We're very interpersonal. The structures of belonging that demand interpersonal, that come with like great interpersonal joy and demand interpersonal work, you know, um, they're not given. I often think of the we space as transcending the interpersonal, as being more intersubjective or what my teachers call interbeing, where where a group of us is gathered and we are tapping an aliveness, an intelligence, a consciousness that is alive in the space between us, but it's itself, you know? And we are placing ourselves at the service of it. And so like, what comes out of our mouth is less our thought and our opinion, but what this space is speaking to through us, you know? And I, I, there's multiple communities and experiments working with this kind of we space. I'm especially affiliated with the work of Emergent Consciousness Dialogue as held um, in Germany by my, by my teachers and friends, Elizabeth the Bold and Thomas Steinberg, and, and, and I'm, a, I'm a part of that community, but there's other efforts. And so the kind of we space I'm talking about um, is different in that way. Again, I think we, we can get into it. I think, I don't think one replaces the other, um, but, there, but there's a distinction there. And, and I think I would say my, my spiritual thrust, like the edge of my spiritual work of, and of my work work as a facilitator, the very edge of it is that we space. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And specifically to the psychedelic community, you shared this in the newsletter. I'll just read it a little bit here. You said that psychedelics are best seen as an episodic sacrament that exists in the context of community, a community that regularly gathers without psychedelics people and families who come together regularly to celebrate, contend with, and bow before the mystery of life and its terms. And you said you don't need psychedelics, but you need community. And I really like the yes. way you phrased that. Thank you. Thank you for, thank you. Thank you for that. And that's, that is the truth, man. That is the truth. It, it is, it, you know, I was, I was doctoring somebody recently and, and, Oh my God, it was harrowing, you know, she was an elder and as an elder, she was working through like very young childhood trauma. And there comes the, there comes a point in the healing journey, particularly with the use of psychedelics, where like the step has to be to relive the event, you know? And so I'm watching this elder kind of relive horror, just horror. Uh, perpetrator in her as a child and it was powerful the medicine was working and i was doing my work and i think i was doing it well um but it but it it just hit me then and there in the middle of it i'm like this can't be it it, it can't be that this is all she has it can't be that this is all we have it can't be that it, we can have it we should have it but it can't be that like this kind of exceptional moment of me singularly as an individual coming here and dealing specifically with my trauma or, you know, it's one of my favorite work is with groups like coming periodically to do this. It can't be it. it, it it's just the, the trauma is too big. The, it, it, it propels you 
towards healing. It opens up new possibilities, but we need, we need spaces that gather. We need spaces where we lift our voices and sing together. We need spaces where we dance together like our ancestors did. We need spaces where we ritualistically enact, you know, almost as it were plays, the archetypal entities that that move through humanity. You know, we need to, that, that kind of somatic uh, experience of togetherness um, is integral. It's, it's like all of our ancestors all over the world without exception. Like each one of us, there's no human that doesn't come from that, right? And to have set it aside, I, I, I think is the, is the only way we get to become the first generation that steals from our descendants to the point of possible extinction. You know, we're stealing from the future because we just, we just have lost our ways, you know? Right. And it's, it's sort of the, the paradox of social media too, where for the first time in history, we've had a chance to connect with anyone in the world so rapidly. And yet it's a source of disconnection. And I, I, do you think that deepening our capacity to connect with one another is at the front lines of a paradigm shift? Uh, uh, yes, I do. I do. I do. And, but it, but it must be said, and it must be said that connecting with ourselves mm -hmm. comes first and that we don't even know how to do that. We don't even know how to do that. We're not being taught how to do that. Um, we, we are bound by a false idea of who we are um, because we lack structures of belonging we are anxious um, very anxious as a society we are lonely and in that anxiety and loneliness we get more depre depressed you know and so we end up being the most affluent society that has ever walked the earth that's also the most medicated the most depressed, the loneliest, and the most anxious. And so what, I, what the way to heal that is in community, but it's important to know that those conditions keep us from knowing ourselves, right? Like, And so your own sense of worthiness, your own sense of you belong here among us, you know? You get to be a part of this. We don't even have that. Man, too many of us are lacking that. And, and even when we're like violently staking a claim and as, I don't know, successful businessmen, and I'm all for business, don't get me wrong, but like making our name and playing our status games, you know, and like all of those things come from not knowing ourselves. And it's not that we shouldn't achieve. It's not that we shouldn't create awesome things, you know? It's not that we shouldn't excel. All of that we should do. But we, we do it from a place of like fullness. Not from a this kind of gaping hole inside of ourselves that we don't that comes from not knowing who we are. So so there's gotta be some of that, some self-reflecting knowing who you are that becomes essential because if you enter relationship with a surface understanding of yourself. You're going to be very insecure in it. You're not going to be trust. You're not going to be 
trusting in it. Therefore, you're not going to be trustworthy in it. And so the communal ex the connection experiment will fall apart very quickly. There's a big difference between loving someone out of love and loving someone out of need or out of want yeah. for feeling something right. within yourself. And we spoke about the disconnection between people and disconnection between people and themselves. And another one that came through for me in my last experience with psychedelics was this connection with spirit, um, knowing experientially that it's there, knowing you know, with actions that it's available and it's, it's, it's present, but not having the trust and the deep felt knowing that spirit is here and that we're spiritual beings having a human experience. I didn't have that trust and that thread between me and spirit was not in coherence. And so um, when I had that, I felt experience of that, that's transformed me. That was a new stage for me. For myself oh, of like connection to spirit and and really yes. deeply knowing it do you want to talk a bit more to about connection to spirit and how it plays such a pivotal role in uh, i believe in community in the we space yeah yeah i think well i think the we space is spirit you know mm -hmm. i think it's spirit and i think it's spirit speaking through us you know i will i i I'm going to use a, a Christian metaphor, but I don't want it just because I grew up with it. It's not, it's not my current practice, but this thing happens. First of all, just like if you can put your triggers around Christian hegemony aside and play with it, like a, like one of those great archetypal stories that, that holds over time because there's something in it, regardless of what the church does, that is true. So so first of all, it has this being that is good, that is goodness embodied, that just, that is medicine himself, that is love, right? And it's so much so that it's, some people say it's God on earth, and people say it's like the son of God, and it's very powerful. And I've only come to this understanding recently to say like, even the goodest among us, right? Even one who is of God nature is subject to the tragedy of human existence, subject to torture, subject to betrayal, subject, right? And, 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 and I say that because oftentimes I have thought that maybe if I'm good enough, maybe if I meditate enough, maybe if I am kind enough to enough people, maybe if I eat well enough or exercise enough, I'll get a pass on this these terms and the term. But these are the terms. Like tragedy is not only possible but likely for all of us. That any right? like it's like it will happen, right? And so, so to me, that's like an important part of the story. But that's the the other part is this: this happens, this murder, and then spirit descends upon those who held this love to be true, those who were able to recognize this divinity as it walked among them. They are not bereft of the being. In fact, spirit comes down, right? Like they're touched with tongues of fire, right? 
and they become these people who, who are able to spread this message of love, right? Um, because they had that connection, because they were able to see, trust, and believe. I'll say, I'll say two other things about this, which is my son's middle name is Tomas. And that's because his Chinese grandfather was called Tom, but I gave him Tomas in Spanish. But it was also because Thomas in the Christian tradition is known as Doubting Thomas. Thomas was said like, he said, I'm not going to believe that this body was resurrected until I put my, my hand in his wound, you know? And there's this beautiful Caravaggio painting that has the, the hand of Thomas inside a, a kind of a torso wound of the Christ. Like, this finger is in there. And to me, he's not doubting one. He's the one that knows what the game is. You know what I mean? Like, no, I, I got to touch God as flesh. You know what I mean? Like, it's this embodiment, right? It's this you body and mind walking up on this earth, right? That are the vessels of spirit itself. So that's, that's, that's one. And the, the other one is to speak about these 12 guys, because we can only think about the imperial colonialist church now. But for 300 years, these people are marginal and persecuted. They're, they're fed to the lions, right? But they're doing this thing, this love thing, they're standing to their neighbor thing, right? They're having this charisma, this like this fiery experiences that keeps them coming together because it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter that they're persecuted. And I think that that kind of mm. three hundred year perspective um, is a good one too. Yeah, uh, beautiful insight. Um, what what has been your evolution with connection to spirit um, over your times of medicine? Like, what's changed for you? Yeah, that's great. I, I, it's interesting because it's not a full. It's all it's all so dynamic. But I can tell you that I left the Catholic Church I was bred in because, kind of, almost like political reasons, like. I was like, feminism, it was like, it can't. I'm like fighting for justice and this is a patriarchal system. Like, this doesn't hold water. Like, I can't negotiate it any further in my head. Uh, and some years later, it was September 11th. It was three years after the event. Uh, I wanted to do something spiritual. I was always very spiritual. I didn't have a church. I went to a meditation center. And in that med a yogic tantric meditation center, tantric tradition, I, was, I received an initiation that I wasn't looking for. I didn't know what it was. It was a powerful transmission. And uh, I experienced this non-dual experience. And uh, it was without medicine. It took me a couple of years to come to terms with the fact that something had happened that I had to follow. It took me two years and life falling apart for me to get on my knees and be like, okay, I got it. Okay, I can't, I, I'm not going to set the terms. You're setting the terms. <laughs> And the surrender began, you know. And so I engaged a very powerful kind of ecstatic yogic path. I want to say six, seven years of very, 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 very active, you know. If you met me, you know I was in that. And it's not that I'm not, but it's just like it's, 
it all has quieted. It all has kind of been more integrated inside of me. I bring that up because that path was very ascendant. Spirit, it was kind of transcendent, up and out towards the heavens, you know? Like, towards spirit. And somewhere around the six, seven years, it was like, I almost felt like I was in a spiritual crisis because it was like that 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 Shakti that seemed to be on call at any point was no longer there. But what I figured out was happening, it was like the energy was still coming back down. It was descending mm -hmm. into the body, opening my lower chakras, which I was like, have been running away from because I was like trying to not bleed into patriarchy, right? Kind of reopening like my the, the holiness of my sexuality, connecting me to the earth. Mm -hmm to the holy feminine and to the path, to the medicine, medicine path, right? So that's like, it was like a balancing out more earthly, right? More, more, more shamanic than yogic, right? And, and somewhere along, so that has taken many, many shapes. And I've had, I had a long recent stretch of this very powerful, like non-dual experiences, experiences of like, total oneness with the divine, which were very reminiscent of that in yogic initiation. And, and in some ways, if I'm honest, even had an addictive thing to them. Like, like as somebody that longs for God, that's where that confusion came in. That's where like, I would keep going back to that well, to have that feeling, to have that experience. And because I felt like when I'm out, when I wasn't in there, I couldn't experience that oneness. So now it's more about like seeing the oneness in the mundane, outside of medicine, but I, I'll, I'll give you one more answer because you asked, and I don't, I, I don't, I can't quite explain it. The last experience or two that I had, there's certainly one major one when I sat with my teacher last, where it was, it was kind of back to this dualistic God. It was almost like um, I felt like it was very biblical, like um, like I was just in this, that kind of. It was a very hard journey. Very, very, very. I was put to the ringer. And after that, it was like this, like me, God, it, it was God as thou. You know, I was talking. It was in, and it started, it was all in Spanish, interestingly enough. And like, and it was this kind of surrendered offering to this, to this God as thou again. So that's kind of what I can tell you. It's like, and, and then, and then, yeah, then the last, last time I, I, I worked with medicine. That was kind of spoken to me by the medicine. It was like, yeah, like I, I honoring this kind of non-dualistic approach that I've been really diving into, but being like, your path will always have something relational in it. There will be, there's something about God as thou that will matter to you, you know? And I thought about saints like Rumi or Hafiz, you know, the Sufi saints who, who are, ecstatic and fully identify with God, but still dance with God. And, and I think that's, I'll tell you this, Pascal, this is, this is my life's aspiration. Should I be granted the life I pray for, which is a long, healthy and joyful life with the full awareness that God sets the terms and that anything can happen at any time, but I, I can still pray for what I want. Should I get old? And as I get old, I'll lose some ability. I'll lose ability, and the health will start to go. I want to be. 
an old man in a room where I can no longer wipe my behind. I must be fed. There's probably saliva coming out of me as I think about my, my last thing of my beautiful grandfather. I'm a mess, but I'm, a, I'm still hoping my brain's still working. I want my brain to still be working, ideally, now that I get to set the terms. But I tell you all of this, they're turning this picture because I want anyone that comes anywhere near the room, anywhere near, near the perimeter of that room, to feel God, to feel delight, to feel that there's some cultivated energy there, that there's some, that there's devotion that I hold in my heart. Now, without me having to speak it, flows out of my pores vigorously, even when I have no vigor. That's, that's, that's how I would prefer to go. Should I get a choice? Total reconnection with the divine through your, your body and soul and mind. Yeah. And what a, what a beautiful intention. Um, is there something that you'd like to share uh, to people out there? Maybe people are on a journey of discovery themselves or a journey of transformation. Is there any last parting words you'd like to share with them? Yeah, yeah, yep. Have courage. Have courage. Um, there's definitely death involved. And I don't mean death of the body, but death to, to much of who you think you are. So have courage. Aim for integrity. You know, coming into integrity with yourself will align you with your power. Aim for integrity. Have courage. And have faith. And by that I don't mean a religious faith, that that's warmly, or just a spiritual faith, but when something happens, and you see something, and something heals, allow yourself to believe in the healing Allow yourself to believe in your own capacity to integrate it. You know, have, have faith that what we see, what we experience, the love we have for each other when we do it together is real and holds water long after the ceremony is over. Even if it's not as colorful, even if it feels more mundane. Beautiful. Love more and cling less. That's the that's, that's the you. ultimate one. Where can people find you? What what are you up to in the world? Thank Where you, people brother. can or uh, participate in what you're offering? Yeah, um, I'm I'm found at gibranrivera.com. I encourage people to please uh, sign up for the newsletter. And it's a really good newsletter. Like everything Gibran sends, uh, I'm always reading it because it's it has a nugget of wisdom in there or ten of them. Um, so I really enjoy it. <laughs> thank you for the endorsement yeah the newsletter is a great way and and then there's programs you'll see different programs I do coaching I'm really keen on on doing group coaching with people uh, where like you get your individual coaching sessions but you also are coach along with a cohort of like oh, three other people so four people at a time I just feel like having others again back to this community back to bringing the facilitation skills are really cool ways to to deepen and, and to kind of create like a 10 week cauldron for, for deep transformation. Yeah. Sweet. Thank you so much, Ron, uh, doing a good work and keep spreading Many the teachings and keep, uh, 
keep uh, appreciating the mundane in everyday life. Keep learning. You'll check right okay, check with me when, okay, I get, when I get better at it. Okay. <laughs> Many blessings.